Hi, everyone. This is Christina Cantrell from the National Writing Project. I'm here with colleagues um, at the um, NWP uh, Resource Development Retreat in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, it's July 2018, and I'm really excited to have a chance to um, talk with some colleagues who um, have been LRNG Innovator grantees in the last um, grantee cycle um, and um, talk with them about some of the cross-cutting themes around their work. So um, uh, uh, the three of them represent two projects that, and they're developing um, resources about those projects that you should keep an eye out for at the current.educatorinnovator.org. So really excited about that. And here at this retreat, we'd have an opportunity to talk across our projects and really think about some of the cross-cutting themes. So that's what we wanted to talk about here today. But first, let me let you guys introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit about your projects. Do you want to start? Okay. I'm Sandra McLaughlin, and I teach at Western Omar High School in Albemarle County, Virginia. We are a part of a Let It Shine grant, and I work with an American Studies partner and, and the other high schools in the area, so that's cross-curricular and interdisciplinary. And our project was based off of how do you tell your community story through monuments and memorials. And my name is Angela Stokes, and I work um, also with Sandra in Albemarle County Schools. Um, I have a division position, it's called a lead coach role. And um, our, our first entree um, into the project was um, actually coming together and, as a team to write the grant. And I think our big questions um, were as we looked at Let Them Shine, um, when we looked at monuments, whose stories were already being told in the communities, um, in our, our community directly and then other communities around the state, um, whose stories were missing? And um, when we looked at those missing stories, whose stories would the students want to tell? And how would they want to do it in a really creative way? Great. I'm Ellen Shelton. I am at the University of Mississippi. And our project was Green is the New Pink, Young Women Environmentalists in Action. And it was a, um, a cohort of young ladies who were interested in exploring um, careers in environmental science and uh, four Saturdays of field experiences with online um, contact in between the four sessions. Great, thank you. Nicely summarized. <laughs> you guys must be working on resources or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, I want to just take a second and talk about LRNG Innovators um, because we've now um, finished the, the, or we're coming to the finish of the third challenge and the th third cohort of grantees. So we have, I forget the exact number, it's over 30 um, uh, groups that have developed connected learning sort of designs and tested and tinkered with different designs and possibilities of creating connected learning opportunities for youth both inside and outside of school um, through these grants. These grants were um, supported by the National Writing Project as well as John Legend's Show Me Campaign and the MacArthur Foundation um, uh, and uh, the Collective Shift Organization. So, um, and the goal, the idea of these grants was really um, to, uh, we had a group of educators who were working on, um, previous to these grants, uh, working on connected learning in their own context and name some of the key challenges in doing this work. So these challenges have been designed around those key challenges. And I just wanna, um, the challenge that you guys have been working on 
is to design ways to help young people explore their interests and thereby igniting a passion that can lead to college, career, and having a positive impact in the community. So, um, uh, and there's um, eight other grantees who have also been working and designing in their context, very specific and different contexts all around the country um, towards that end. Um, so it's been really exciting to work and hear about your work as you develop out these resources and we have monthly phone calls too to check in about the work. And, um, and yesterday we had um, uh, an interpretive circle where we got to talk with some of our colleagues about the work. And one of the um, conversations that came up was about the role of the teacher in this work. And I thought, um, and really, you know, how, how maybe you can describe it, the, the role that the, how teaching shifts a bit or has to be sort of re-examined when you're really trying to support youth interests and allow them to lead sort of the direction of the work. So maybe you could speak to that in, the, in your context and we can talk across it. Well, from the classroom teacher perspective, we often, when you get a grant and it's kind of open in how you're going to structure it, and we get to structure it, we come up with a plan that we think is good, or we hope is good, or we're developing it along the way is often kind of how it goes as, as we progress through the grant. And one of the things we start to realize, or we started to realize as they moved into, especially the research and creation phase, mm -hmm. is that what our image of what we thought when we first entered this, what was gonna come out, was not necessarily always the way that they were going to take it. Mm -hmm. And that was maybe through their research, their interest, uh, who they were working with, and what resources were available in our community. Right, right. And we started to realize that we, we had to back off maybe what we thought it should look like mm -hmm. and, and let them create what they thought it needed to look like. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, you know, what we envisioned, and, and we created the framework for it, but a lot of the content ended up being driven by the girls' interest. Um, sometimes it wasn't exactly what we planned, and we had to do some, uh, I call it parking lot planning, like on the fly, you know, what do you do? But it really was empowering to the girls to say, here's what we want to do, and, and we really think electrofishing is cool, and here's how we can use it, and I was like, we're going electrofishing again. <laughs> um, and, but it was interesting from a teacher perspective, because I've actually been on the classroom for eight years now and used to directing programs and waiting for it to not go as you originally envisioned. Um, some of my teacher, so I had, um, I, I think the key was always get the, the people who are knowledgeable about the content who can be facilitative rather than directive. And, um, but one of my teachers, who was a science teacher, because obviously I know nothing, you know, I, I'm like, it's a bug, and they're like, no, no, this is what it is. <laughs> but um, she really kind of started withdrawing as the sessions went on because she felt like she wasn't carrying her weight because she was used to being the central person in the classroom. And this was a major pedagogical shift for her um, in this project, and she's enjoyed it, but she really had to grapple with what was her role um, the middle school teacher was much more flexible and was very used to student-centered learning. Um, and the um, English math teacher, who was a, bit, a techie person, 
was used to letting go. So that was watching kind of their growth as um, educators um, that I enjoyed, but I also realized that I needed to facilitate as the sort of logistics team leader um, and saying it's okay to let go and it's okay to really, this is your role, is to figure out how to support the students as they're in this inquiry. Um, it was it was a challenge, I think, for some folks. You know, that, that classroom teacher that's used to being the central. Yeah. To and say, it's a real emotional note. Yeah. Felt challenge. It's not just intellectual, but it's yeah. It was hard for her. She felt like she wasn't really doing what she should be doing, and I'm not pulling my weight. And I went, Oh my gosh, you were the one who was naming and and asking the critical questions that I wouldn't know how to ask. This mm -hmm. is this is what I do. I mean. This is what you do is, is you're knowledgeable. You're the content specialist, but you also have to be open to, you may have to be able to say, I have no idea, let's figure it out together. So, And I think to some degree, um, it's just such an unknown. Like mm -hmm. once the teacher experiences it, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, it's like, oh my goodness, this is the way to teach. Mm -hmm. And this new role is really exciting. But on the front end, if you haven't seen it or haven't experienced it and know like, what does that new classroom look like? It's just, it's just scary. And, and is it? I think probably the scariest part is, is it going to be helpful to anybody? Like I'm feeling uncomfortable here. Are they really learning yeah. anything? And okay, why are we doing this if we're both? If it's going to fall flat from both perspectives? Um, I feel like we were initially drawn to this grant because it was there were you know all sorts of questions, but one of the central questions was, um, you know, how are you going to embed student choice in this experience mm -hmm. and um, it was helpful to have um, a team of writers who are writing it because mm -hmm. you know traditionally when you're looking at a classroom situation you've got your really dynamic hook and you've got your experience and then you've got some kind of end product and everybody's going to make turkeys with their hand and they kind of <laughs> all look brilliant but the same. Um, it was great again to have this team because um, we've all been teaching for a while and there's just some things that are just behavioral patterns, like this is what we do. But we were able to challenge each other and say, okay, wait a minute, back up. Was there an opportunity there to build in student choice? Uh -huh. Oh, there was, but wait a minute, that makes things go crazy next. So yeah. is that, do we want to do it? And we'd be like, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. So then you build in choice. And then you get to that next point, someone would say, oh, wait a minute. We're being a little lockstep here. Was there an opportunity for choice? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, as an individual, if there would have been as much choice involved as Let Him Shine, um, because you just you needed that those other voices to say, wait, pause here and just think about the choice. And even though it's scary, let's just go with it and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and actually, as the grant built. When we started the planning, we gave them choice, but it was really limited choice. Like, you can choose from this list, and you can create something with these supplies. And, and that was where we got it started. And part of it was the introduction to what memorials and monuments were that went along with our project. And so as they got more comfortable with that, we, had, we tried to give up control. But sometimes as a teacher in the classroom where you want to maintain order, it's hard to give up control and sometimes we have to realize that we can be our own worst enemies and that we need to back off. And so by the end, we, we were hoping they felt comfortable enough that we could open it up with some parameters mm -hmm. and they, through their research, could go different paths. And what we realized, we are English and history, 
that some of the ways they went was more of an artistic one, mm -hmm. and another way was more of a science-based, and you know, then others went very much with like local, since you're telling our local story, local people right in our community, and it depended on their creativeness. Like some people had the best idea, but creating a monument was really tough, and other people had a great idea, or they had an okay idea, but then how do you create that monument it was kind of where we were, and, and trying to get teams of kids to work together so they could build on each other's strengths. I think one thing that was a real challenge for us is when you're designing something, you have not only to be flexible about what it looks like, but you also have to have faith that what you built, um, that you know this is good practice, that you know that the groundwork is there to support whatever ends up, and it's probably not going to be what you thought it would be, but it's going to be okay on the end. Yes. And, I think, and there might be some failure yeah. along the way. And that actually is the growth point, mm -hmm. but at the same time it's scary because you, it's also very public failure um, sometimes. And I think it, especially in this age of testing and assessment, we're very used to, we know how to get to this, this is what the end goal is going to be, but yet the kids go so, so much far beyond when they have these sorts of the choices and the field experiences and we're not limiting them and they can take that knowledge in places we never dreamed of. But I think that's why sometimes this is kind of scary for educators because they might have an administrator along the way who says, oh, you're not doing what's going to get the kids there and you're like, no, it's going to get them beyond that. Yeah. But you have to have that faith as an educator to say, oh, well this is what it's going to be and this is going to be great. Mm -hmm. Just have a little faith in me and have a little faith in yourself. Um, and that's, that's I think, sometimes the, the leap that some folks are not ready to do or are a little hesitant, maybe. Yeah. And I think it really helps to have administrator support in the building Absolutely. when you're kind of making this leap mm -hmm. and also division level yeah. support that yes. saying, you know what, we really value this. Mm -hmm. We know it's going to be helpful for the students. Um, I love what you said earlier about um, the types of questions that mm -hmm. your teacher is able to ask. And I feel like mm -hmm. um, if you're just looking at this from an observational perspective and you look at um, how that conversation gets transformed mm -hmm. in the classroom, when you go back to the traditional and the stand and deliver, and this is what we're all doing, you know, it was, it was one to 25 mm -hmm. or 30 students. And I think it was just exciting to watch Sandra and Monica mm -hmm. and how they would interact with, you know, a much smaller team and where the questions went. So, oh, we're stumped on this, and then just some really nice give and take on, okay, well, what are some ideas that we could do to get over this hurdle? So, you're just not able to find the research that you need, but have you tried this, this, and this, and kind of just, it just transforms the conversation. It also is a student growth in that, like, one of our groups who went more of a science way, they're like, oh, but we can't do this because this is English and history. There's no science. There's no science. And, and i like, no, 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 no. This is where you, you, that's the process of research. And you found this person in our community who are, who's into sustainable living, and that's really where you are going. That's okay. And they thought they were wrong, too. And so yeah. not only did we have to figure out, no, no, we have to back off, they also had to kind of alter, yeah. oh, this is English, this is history, but we can take it this direction. And that there is English and history in, in, in the sciences, uh -huh. and we all work yeah. together. I think kids aren't used to having that ownership either. So saying, wait a second, I can do this, and mm -hmm. is this okay, and wait a second, I, I have a choice. <laughs> Because they're used to being directed. And, and sometimes choice is scary. Mm -hmm. 
And we actually had to nudge them in some cases yeah. of saying, okay, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And, and they're like, no, I, I can do that. That's not the option I, you originally talked about. And I'm like, well, no, but you're kind of going this way. So what do you need from me to, to figure out how to make that happen? And I think that was a big shift for the kids too. That yeah. was fascinating to watch. Um, and I think that's that's really important. Like if we're on the front end of this transformation mm -hmm. and opening up student choice and changing a little bit of the teacher role, like knowing up front that the group of students that we're working with, maybe in high school, um, they've gone through this traditional path. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the idea of a choice, it sometimes it is just a blank. Like they're not blank. There's a lot going mm -hmm. on, and they are curious, but they just haven't had this opportunity mm -hmm. to really be. Oh, this is my choice. So I love what you said about um, not maybe jumping in with the answers at that point mm -hmm. when they look blank, yeah. but jumping in with all sorts of questions so mm -hmm. that we're modeling. That's probably, yeah. um, mm -hmm. Okay, well, this is what we do in this spot. Start generating questions and then see where they take mm -hmm. you. And what I saw is as the kids who were starting to generate the questions and maybe going out of what is the what they thought was the norm is that some of those students were not the ones that were the stars in class, mm -hmm. but suddenly because they're more empowered, mm -hmm. they're willing to talk about it and present on it, and they feel really passionate about it. So they might have been the quiet student, but now they're not quiet. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like um, for us, we may have missed the most exciting part about yeah. student choice. And unfortunately, I think as a teacher, if you're jumping in, you don't see this till the end. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's the culminating experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, um, you know, the let them shine kind of uh, final event celebration for their products, um, you had said like these were not necessarily my high flyers all year in my classroom, uh -huh. but the way they came to the table and presented their work uh -huh. and engaged, you know, with community members, um, it wasn't it wasn't a mistake that people were like. Are you building this and can I pay? Can I help pay for it? Right. Like because they had this little right. energy and investment yeah. in what they had created. <laughs> you were like, okay, let's let's yeah. keep this going. Yeah. The class doesn't end today and you get this grade and move on. But yeah. um, it was just it was just really powerful to mm -hmm. see the investment at the end. And I kind of like that idea of um, I think right now we're um, going after engagement so much and that there's a whole nother layer mm -hmm. of investment that okay. kind of shows like, okay, yeah, this is how engaged they are. They wanted to build their mm -hmm. monuments too. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I do see, uh, like, your project brought together, um, I mean, all this peer work you've been mentioning, both the mm -hmm. kids and teens and then also the teachers and teens, and you guys cross several schools around kind of a shared purpose, right? And then um, the, um, the, the colleagueship that this required is uh -huh. strikes me, you know, even and the peership that was required really strikes me. Um, and thinking about your project, and you brought kids from across communities, uh -huh. right, um, into this work. So, um, so, and then, but they, these sort of opportunities to have themselves as audiences and colleagues and then also sort of a larger purpose in the world with with audiences and meaningful context to them um it strikes me that that's that was also really i mean i think is that what you're saying that really they had they were able to sort of 
blossom in a way that otherwise. I, I yes, I think um, I, it's hard to capture the energy that you would have in the conversation with them. Yeah. But you would recognize as a teacher that um, if I'm back in the classroom and and maybe I, I've done another project that is interesting and relevant um, and has some choice, but it didn't have that connection to um, you know a bigger audience and mm -hmm. a real audience oh. and potentially a real purpose. Um, there's there's just a different level a different, of enthusiasm yes. around it. And I again I just love that part and it's hard to generate to me in a classroom where students don't want to leave the classroom at the end of a, of a session uh -huh. or they don't want a project to end. Right. Um, there it's that kind of level of I want to keep this going and I uh -huh. I feel like for Sandra and Monica students uh -huh. if she said hey guys we're going to do a continuation this year and you know here's the next phase. They would be all in. They would, if they could do it. Like, well, they can study into the next. The other interesting thing is after our final finale, I had the students who participated thanked me for giving them this opportunity. And I was like, thank you for coming. And then they were like, and, and their mothers also who were there thanked us for this opportunity. And that was kind of a shift for me. I don't normally have that. No, we had the same after our, our last meeting. I've been getting emails. Are you going to continue this? What are we doing? And we did find um, a funding stream for this work uh, for at least one more year. Mm -hmm. and, and parents are emailing me, hey, when is the information coming out? And the girls are saying, oh, I want to come back. What are we doing? And I'm like, great. This is so fabulous. Um, it was the small core. And if we can even keep part of that group and move on and, and take that, um, you know, how how powerful that work is and how much do we transform their thinking about their role in this process. But it, yeah, it was kind of a new thing of parents stopping me. Because um, one actually stopped me in the on campus the other day and said, okay, I'm waiting for that email. And I went, okay, well, <laughs> I haven't time to get to it yet because we have a planning meeting to figure this out. But um, yeah, they're, they're excited. They want to come back and they want to do these things. And, that was a real empowering moment for me as an educator mm -hmm. to go, oh, cool. They really love this work. So, yeah, that's exciting. Well, yeah. And then the hope that, that when your guys are walking around, they'll be able, they'll be like, they'll have knowledge about the outdoors that they didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Or when our guys are going to a new city or even just walking around our town, mm -hmm. that they'll be able to look at the, our monuments and mm -hmm. memorials and ask questions and look for, in our case, the story or not the story being told. And that they're just, have that critical eye that they yeah. they didn't have before they did this project. The process. That they yeah. really are internalizing what does it mean to be a researcher? Right. What does it mean to be part of a larger, larger conversation than yourself? You know, whether that's history, whether that's science, where do I fit into this, in my case, ecosystem, you know, or in this historical context where, you know, that I'm part of a larger group that, and what I do could actually have a big impact on something. Yeah. So we had um, another colleague from Red Mountain Writing Project talk about this as service, uh -huh. you know, and the role that like the ways that this actually serves a community and the youth become leaders uh -huh. uh, through this work. So I thought that was really powerful. And um, I, I know we're, we should wrap. I just wanted to mention because I think it's an important component of both of your work and you've talked a lot about it and it'll be in the resources that they're creating. So you should check them out. Um, 
is the role that community partners played. Mm -hmm. So um, I know you both projects had a number of community partners. So maybe we could just briefly talk about that because mm -hmm. I feel like it balances, it this shows how that like peer work mm -hmm. is really so essential. Mm -hmm. So in our case, um, we were trying to show environmental careers outside of the academic space. Um, who's actually doing this eco work. And so we brought in some conservation managers from um, Strawberry Plains Audubon Center where we did quite a bit of our inquiry work. But then what was also fascinating was they were working uh, with Dr. Knight, um, who's a water conservationist, at the field station. Somebody asked a question. He said, I don't know. Got out his phone, <laughs> dialed somebody and said, hey, I'm out here with this project and I'm looking at this. I'm going to take a picture what is it? And so they put the kid put the phone on speaker. Mm -hmm. I can't believe we had cell service at that moment. <laughs> and um, and said, okay, this is what you're looking at, and here's what it was. And it was somebody that he knew, um, who worked at the sedimentation lab um, for the USDA. And so had that conversation, and then, so it was. They got to see a network of professionals and how they work together. And you're not the knowledgeable person, but you probably know someone who is. Mm -hmm. And how did they engage? Um, you're not alone in this inquiry process. Um, and we brought in different faculty members for different reasons, but we were really trying to see what other careers were out there besides. So, um, so we engaged Mitch Robinson, um, Tim, and his last name is failing me at the moment. But who were those folks that were there saying, okay, well, here's what's happening here, and here's how this environment is actually returning this, this man forced environment that was a farm um, is now returning back to nature, back to you know, a, a very, the original ecosystem, but how it shifted. And so they were actually having those conversations and bringing in historians to talk about what that area was. So. Well, Angela and her partner, John, were amazing. They organized an academic conference. And a lot of 17-year-olds have never been to an academic conference. Mm -hmm. And we did it at, at Montpelier, which is James Madison's home, mm -hmm. a local um, kind of monument memorial in a house uh, that we have, and it was amazing. I, I was um, I was thinking back again to the original writing process, and we got to that question about you know it's so important to have community partners. Who do you think you'll partner with with this project? And at that point, we had had so much student choice that you would have no idea who would be relevant to what the students were going to be studying and trying to create. So. We just kind of like, well, maybe, you know, this, this, and this person. Um, but because of events that happened in Charlottesville, this particular project had some, um, some early media attention. Yeah. And we had no idea the number of people uh -huh. that were also thinking about in our community, how do we tell um, a, a richer and fuller story? And so they just automatically became partners uh -huh. all throughout. And I think it was instrumental because they could talk about um, what they were doing. They were in the same um, positions as the students where mm -hmm. I'm starting and I need to tell an untold story. Where do I start? And they would say, well, it's so important to do the research and actually talk to people, if you can, who are connected to that story. Um, and then they would go through the rest of you know, the process with the students. Mm -hmm. um, it was just, I think, fascinating for them to have people who were doing it as professionals mm -hmm. um, yeah. real time. Yeah. I think it was also amazing the scope of people. So oh, yes. maybe um, an architectural historian who was helping them with 
um, we noticed in their very first monuments that they were very concrete and literal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you think about when you're trying to tell a story through a monument? What does it mean to be more abstract or um, bring in, you know, classical elements to what you're creating and symbolism? Um, so an architectural historian, naturally all sorts of um, architects, but there were videographers who had mm -hmm. just completed Montpelier's A Mere Distinction of Color. He was like, well, this is why you might want to think about video. This is how you can play with, um, actually, video clips and photography uh -huh. and sound and mm -hmm. bring it together to, you know, create your message. Um, and I think uh, near the end, too, one group wanted to do a mural, so they actually collaborated with, um, you know, a professional artist in our region to take it from paper to poster to highway panels. And now there's a mural that, you know, lives really close to their school on a wall. Um, I don't know that we're going to see the benefits of all of these connections to the local community experts, um, but I think what we know as educators is for the group of students that we're serving, there's a really good chance that they see the roles that their parents play and then they see us as teachers, mm -hmm. and that's the world. So I think it was exciting to know that you know we brought in maybe 20 other professionals, and um, who knows right now which of those little, like what kind of seeds were planted right, yeah, to say, yeah, oh, I absolutely love science or I love history. I didn't know I could do this with it. And I didn't so, know I could put science and history together. Right. Yes. And yeah. Or I really love art. I had no idea that I could bring that kind of passion um, into you know a, his, a history career. So um, I think that's what we're uh, hopeful for is that these connections have just kind of opened up you know all sorts of ideas for what they can do with their futures. That's great. Um, and then I would say. Uh, Every connection we've made with um, historic homes and other um, historical organizations in Charlottesville are ongoing now. So they've all yeah, decided, right. this is what we want to do with you next year. Can we do something similar? How can we grow yes. it? Um, so it's, it's just kind of been a waterfall um, experience. That's true. Yeah, I feel like it really speaks to sort of context-specific and the relevance of yes. too, and that, uh, really being responsive to what's happening around you. <laughs> so. so you think about the mark of a good teacher is not, obviously not the test, which is a given with this audience anyway, but it's how well do you prepare the kids for the next step in their lives? Yeah. And then what did we give them? What did we, what we did, what we gave them, but what did we support as the scaffolding to say, here's this amazing experience what will you do with this in the rest of your life? Yeah. And you know, I want to see where these kids are in a couple of years, and you know, are they still interested, or what are they doing with it, or what do they even learn from the process itself that they apply to something else? Right. That transferable skill. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, that's a great thought to end on. And um, yeah, I think maybe at some point we should even um, bring some of the kids together and talk about some of this work. Sure. Uh, just, that would be really exciting mm -hmm. to hear from mm -hmm. perspective too. But thank you so much. Um, again, we're, um, uh, there'll be resources um, published to the current.educatorinnovator.org uh, very soon, um, so you can dive even further into these projects. I want to thank you both. It's been a pleasure, actually, the last year having a chance to you know, talk with you about this work as it's unfolded over the last 15 months or so. And um, yeah, and thank you for joining us and with us today. Thank you for thank you. Thank you. Sure. Yeah.